Hi folks, Peter here. Uh, you may notice a difference between the sound of the first and second halves of this. Due to some technical issues on Jenny's end, we actually had to record this episode in two different sections, but hopefully it won't be too jarring. And with that, on with the episode. This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing games and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, August 20th, and Monday, August 24th of 2020, it's episode 184. In this episode, Douglas Underhill joins us to conclude our alignment series. Plus, the most hopeful thing we saw in the week before recording, the alignments of White Wolf games, the possible real-world basis for the Lone Ranger, our personal favorite alignments for PCs, NPCs, and villains, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. I'm Jenny. And I'm Doug. And we've got a Doug. A hey! You've probably heard from our guest more on this show than any other guest we've just had on, because Doug, how many Patreon questions have you sent in? I don't know. I just write it's them so until many. I get tired. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so many. We're we're actually really glad to have you. You've mm -hmm. you've been like a friend of the show since I don't know, sometime in our first year or something like that. It's yeah, it's been a long time. It was some it was like under thirty in the twenties wow, yeah. maybe when wow. I started. So first year for sure. Yep. Yeah. So long time listener, first time with a mic. Hey. Yeah, first time caller. It's it's about time, frankly. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it really I is. I agree. <laughs> and I'm excited to be here. Doug, take a minute and introduce yourself. Take five minutes. You, you Enjoy the mics. I will not take five minutes, but I will introduce myself. <laughs> so I'm Douglas Underhill. Uh, actually, I'm Doug Hagler. The internet is dangerous. And so when I go, I go by Mr. Underhill. <laughs> I, I approve. Am, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am a PC USA pastor. Woo serving a church here in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, which is like Southeast Pennsylvania, kind of a bedroom community for Philly. I'm also a writer, editor, and game designer, uh, gamer, and all-around geek. Um, I was also asked specifically by Jack Birkenstock to make sure that I said hello to you guys from him. Hello, Jack. Oh, good. Which is it's excellent, because so. you are, at least, you, I know you were on the Badana Group board. Are you still... I still am. They still Excellent. put up with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Excellent. still there. there. We go. We we got some Bodana group in here this year after all, and it's only yes. August. We might we got might get some more in. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, You could you could get more. Jack is not shy about talking, so you can get him anytime. No, oh no, we, we love him. Talking about Jack, <laughs> he's he's amazing. Yeah, he has yeah. lots of good things to say, but he has no shortage of them either. So. <laughs> it's no, great. he doesn't. It's just a barrage of good things and '80s and '70s references. <laughs> yeah. And we love him for it. That's awesome. We always want to give guests something to plug. And, you know, we could talk about, for example, Odana Group for hours. But what else do you have to that our listeners might find interesting that you've produced? Or So I am going to plug the Modana Group briefly because we are having uh, Save Against Fear, which is our uh, convention, our gaming con and fundraiser that we have each year. It's also a training event now for a few dozen therapists and educators. We're calling it Save Against Fear 9.5, because last year was 9, but we don't want to call this 10. It goes from October 9th through 11th, and it's going to be all online, all digital. We already have uh, some cool conversations that we're setting up, and it is right now wide open to um, suggest games you want to run. So you can check out thebodonagroup.org. Um, also, if you want, I have written some things under Douglas Underhill on Drive Through RPG, Storyteller's Vault, and... Very soon, I'll be uploading something to the DMs Guild in the next week or two. 
Make sure you get us links to those, and we will link those in our show notes. Save Against Fear, I've always wanted to go to it, but it's just kind of far away. Not this year. That's what I was saying. This is the time that I might actually make a Save Against Fear. (laughs) I also have a good friend who does therapy and special needs work, deaf translation, that sort of thing. She's also a gamer. Need to maybe throw that her way and be like, you should check this out. Call it professional training, (laughs) right? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, we do actually have accredited continuing ed courses that we do during the course of Save Against Fear each year. Sweet. She would find that super helpful. It is. So I I would go so far as to say that uh, you guys have no excuse. (laughs) No, we really don't. At this point, Um, no. (laughs) I would push it a little bit. As soon as we're done, remind me to write it on the family calendar and it'll it'll be there. That's right. I mean, (laughs) during the workday on Friday, I won't be able to because I'm out of PTO for the year. But Saturday and Sunday, yeah, I'll definitely at least pop in. Cool. Few other news and notes before we get to our topic. By the way, I should point out we brought Doug on to help us wrap up our alignment discussion. We promised when we wrapped up with Chaotic Evil, we would do a little wrap up episode. And well, here it is. We're going to be talking about lessons learned, things we missed along the way, and what our final opinions on alignment are. If you hear me yelling at the mic, just turn it down. I promise I'll, my voice will go out of the <laughs> Although looking at the, the size of the outline, we might have a big wrap-up instead of a little wrap-up. Yeah. Okay, good point. There's one other thing that I want to hit on real quick here because it was prominent in last week's stuff, and I, I owe some of our listeners a thanks here. So uh, last episode, you may remember me referencing the fact that my desktop computer was not functional. I am sitting at that computer recording right now, thanks in part to the generosity of our Patreon backers. What happened there was the the power supply, which was a good brand, an EVGA, went bad and fried my motherboard, and this led to the computer not powering on. Fortunately, the motherboard was the only thing that it fried. Kind of in the putting things back into the podcast Patreon thing, I purchased a replacement motherboard and power supply and repaired my computer so now i have a system to record on edit on and write the blog from again so thank you patreon thank you all thank you we really do appreciate it yeah i think last recording was probably the actual worst we've had for technical difficulties it was rough it was very very bad (laughs) technical difficulties and life stuff yes It was a dark time. (laughs) We are lucky that we got to record it at all. I'm very, very happy that we did. Thank you, Patreon, for replacing the dead motherboard. Yes, and we probably have some more hardware stuff coming up. Jenny certainly needs a new machine. I don't need it as bad as, like, when a computer doesn't turn on anymore. Oh, no, of course not. Of course not. But, you know, we want to make sure that things continue to work. I would like it to stop crashing for fun. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, I can't... Patreon... Listen, I love you guys, but you are not quite paying enough for us to run fiber to rural Canada. Uh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> not, you not actually yet. have to do. Okay, so fun fact: fiber lines actually run through my town, but we are not profitable enough for Bell to access them. Yeah, we. Uh, my company actually ran into this problem where we were literally a like a building away from where the fiber was. Oh my gosh. And they wanted $16,000 to connect it. <laughs> yeah. I knew dark fiber wow, was expensive. Nonsense. For but... Bell, it's more like you actually have to sue them. It's not like, oh no, connection fees. It's you have to sue them pretty much. 
and they will win because they have many lawyers. Anyway. Oh. Of course. <laughs> One other note about episodes and community feedback and Patreon and that sort of thing. For all of that episode had some technical issues going on and we had a lot of frustration in it. People liked our discussion of ghosts. And so we are probably going to, I don't know that we're going to call it an official series or anything, but we're going to be touching on some other classic monsters and giving our takes on them. Let's spend spooky months on, on the spooks. Yeah, no spoop. We're definitely going to have a spooky month and that sounds awesome. And then, you know, November's kind of dreary, so maybe we'll just do, you know, Spoopy 2, Spoopy Boobaloo or something. Um, <laughs> also, Powers of Darkness did arrive. It does have maps. I am going to run Ravenloft with those maps. Oh, that sounds so excellent. I'm in. Nice. I'm in. I, I am holding money right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I actually have, I have some old Ravenloft stuff because one of my mom's friends was getting rid of, she was moving, like, across the country and she wanted to get rid of all of her gaming books and she's like hey uh jenny you like mostly shadow run stuff right and i was like at that time i was like yes and so she's like here's all my gaming stuff it was mostly shadow run but there was also ravenloft in there so uh, oh, okay cool. nice cool yeah. nice doug what you got anything of note happening that you want to mention just you know life stuff i mean yeah. some of us are looking at schools opening up and that's been kind of nightmarish and stressful mm. yeah so uh, i think we have a plan but we'll see plans don't last that long right now no no our our school district is on like a we change the plan weekly plan so Oof. yep plan r or something like that <laughs> yeah i've actually been listening to um school board meetings to try to figure out what's going on mm. which is as exciting oh, as you yeah. think yes uh my mother was a teacher i've been to one or two it's yeah. It's a thing. Ontario's been having a fun time with that because we went straight from months and months of strikes directly into COVID shutdown. And <gasps> so we still have not resolved anything about that. And our prime minister straight up said on the television that he doesn't know if he's going to send his kids back to public school. <laughs> yep. So. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. You know, ours at least have hard and fast rules about like, no, you have to wear masks in the halls. You have to wear masks until a teacher tells you to take it off. One thing I did like, my daughter's going into third grade this year and the third grade teacher, she and her daughter sew. Her daughters all made lanyards for the kids that connect to the loops of a mask hmm. so that when you take the mask off, Ooh. it doesn't like fall on the floor. It just kind of hangs around your neck. Hmm. Oh, nice. Because, th nice. you know. Elementary school kids are prone to dropping things. Yes. You, you drop a mask on the bathroom floor, you know, in a public school, what are you going to do? So it's like, oh, yeah. no, burn it. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> burn it with fire. Well, yeah, but then you, you know, how do you get out of Or if you're a kid, right. just put it back out. on and shrug and then catch things yeah. worse than COVID from the bathroom floor. <laughs> and the, um, the PTA also uh, got all the third graders for the program she's in. A, a screen printed mask with the school logo, so hmm. that, which is kind of cool oh, because cool. it does two things. First, it's like, hey, this is kind of a funny gift, you know, but it's a weird year. We get it. But also it normalizes the mask wearing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. We did session two of City on a Hill last night and I thought it went well. Oh, that was a blast. The one special effect I had planned didn't work and I'm real oh, mad no. about that, but everything else went well. <laughs> What was the special effect? So I actually bought a voice changer application. Ooh. Nice. And I don't have it hooked up now because you have to start it before whatever other application you're using mm. kicks in because it kind of connects to that driver. 
but I had custom built like a reverb and echo and pitch shift to have this deep voice, you know, echoey voice coming out of a magic mouth. None of it worked. Oh, no. It did not go through the Google Meet at all. I tested it with a Google Meet beforehand and it worked fine with a friend. Maybe Roll20 messed it up because Roll20 does some stuff in the background. Yeah. I don't know what happened, but yeah, it was going to be cool. But I did get to borrow one of the City on the Hill NPCs. Uh, Jenny, Granorn came back. <laughs> I don't yeah, remember who that is because I'm bad at names. Granorn, the, uh, the lizard folk. Ah, the you know, lizard the one... folk. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. the one who's... Uh, Shady lowball. In... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's... Uh, listen, he's... He's going to pay you 30 gold to, you know, if you take me out of town. And, uh, hey, you, can you can I borrow 30 gold? You know, that kind of guy. Yeah. So it was it was great fun. I got to, Ryan was like, yeah, you can borrow him. That's cool. Here we go. <laughs> so, yeah, it was good times. I think Grand Orn should make some kind of an early appearance in every subsequent City on a Hill campaign from now on. <laughs> we have I mean, precedent. it's well known that if you do a thing twice, it's automatically a tradition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that was a lot of fun, and plot was developed, and it was good. I'm very glad you came after Faramond with Granorn rather than, like, having to deal with him too much as Bertrand in the last game, because Faramond oh, yeah. is a little more equipped to deal with somebody like that. <sighs> Bertrand would have just been like, I don't know. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> We've got a big topic to get to, but we first have a Patreon question to roll for. So, Peter, Jenny, you guys got anything else? Cool. Thank you, kind Patreon Let's backers. roll that <laughs> die. And if we roll one of Doug's questions, normally, I mean, we just did one of Doug's, and we normally would be like, well, we just did one. Let's re-roll. No, we're making him read it this time if yep. we do. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is from David Flug, who asks, what's the most hopeful thing you've encountered this week? A mm. timely question, if ever there was one. Yeah, no kidding. I've got one. Yesterday, I was reading some bad news from a friend. Something bad happened to them. And my daughter, who is eight, has been hanging out on the sofa near where I sit and work, um, playing Minecraft with her BFF. And she somehow like noticed my face changed. And she, so she was like, are you okay? Did something happen? And I said, well, you know, I had something bad happen to a friend. And I was just feeling sad for that friend. And she said, well, would it help you to talk about it? <laughs> oh, no. I was like, oh, no. I mean, thank you for the offer. But, you know, I, no, it's OK. It happened to my friend and not to me. So I don't feel that sad. But it's kind of on a personal level. But that made me feel hopeful, at least for her, that maybe mm. she's turning out OK. That, that does sound lovely. That's really sweet. <laughs> I might be tearing up just a little bit. That's very sweet. <laughs> it was really. I, I looked over at her. I was like, wow, that is not an eight-year-old thing to say it's an eight-year-old thing to say if the eight-year-old has heard something like it before Mm -hmm. which yeah and empathetic kids around that age will start trying to do that too yeah i like i've got kids who Mm -hmm. came to the library regularly who were like that with everybody and it was incredibly touching Mm -hmm. um very very sweet it's really great she's very sensitive which causes some issues and also Mm -hmm. is really cool sometimes Uh, makes her makes her a good artist and a good observer and then makes her really you know susceptible to bad things too but um but that moment was awesome hopefully mine is sort of minor my uh book suppliers finally started sending books again which indicates that at least in calgary and edmonton where they're based some restrictions are starting to lift because they straight up like 
at one point they were like, we can have one person in a warehouse that supplies thousands of books to libraries regularly. We can have one person in the warehouse at a time. Oh man, I feel bad for that one person. Oh yeah. So anyway, the fact that they are now sending me loads and loads and loads of books, some of which have been like out of stock for ages. Uh, How to Be Anti-Racist is finally coming here after having been on back order for... I, I ordered that thing back in February. It's finally getting here. I'm so excited. Wow. I think I got yeah. it just in time. Mm. We're doing a book study on that mm, with a group yeah. in my church. And uh, mm-hmm. I do recommend. Yeah. I've, I've heard it's something between like a how-to and a memoir. I'm, I'm excited to read it my own self. Yes, that is true. He He kind of follows threads in his life as a way of illustrating what he's talking about in terms of theory. Anyway, so that one's coming in, as are a lot of books that uh, would have been real useful for the Ghosts episode. Thanks, ULS. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that's that's hopeful, because it s- supply chains are starting to move again. That's hopeful for me. I think mine was... I'm going to elaborate a little bit on the, the story of the, the busted computer here, just... When you have a system that doesn't turn on, especially if the original power or the original problem was from your power supply, there is a low but non-zero chance that some of the stuff that was connected to the motherboard is also fried. When I was looking at replacement parts for my system, I bought, you know, a power supply, a motherboard, a processor, some RAM, you know, basically the entire interior guts of a computer system. I even bought another Windows license because it's like if I have to replace all of this, my initial activation isn't going to transfer to new hardware, most likely. When I put, you know, pulled out the motherboard and the power supply and just put the new ones in and then put everything else back where it was originally and turned the system on and everything worked and Windows stayed activated and the only issue that I really had at all was just kind of dealing with the difference in the audio drivers on the old and new thing, that was... That was pretty nice, hopeful relief for me because I do a lot with this thing. <laughs> I do my game writing here. I do basically everything involved with the podcast here. I do my uh, my weekend gaming groups from here. This this computer is very important to multiple aspects of my life. So getting that back with a minimum amount of replacement stuff, that was pretty hopeful for me. It can be really hopeful when a problem turns out to be exactly the size you thought. Yeah. Or smaller than or you hoped. feared. Yeah. Not, a lot, not, not hugely bigger. It's just, oh, that problem was just what I thought it was. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always tend to think very big of any problem. Disasterizing mm-hmm. is a thing. Yeah. Oh, yes. You know, I think mine, I've got two, two small ones. The first is that um, COVID cases in our county are trending downward pretty sharply which is good. You know, the, the net total is still very high, but, you know, compared to other parts of the state, but we're in a very populated county compared to some of the other, you know, more rural parts of South Carolina, sort of to be expected. It's still not great, but I'm also seeing like just tons of masks everywhere to the point now where if I see someone without a mask, it is very unusual and stands out. Mm, good. That's good. And even two, three weeks ago, it was not that way. So that's really nice. Wife and I actually went out and grabbed sushi the other day. And, you know, we sat outside. The server was super careful. Everyone, even on the street, was wearing masks. It was great. Right? Doing really well. The other thing that's kind of brought me a little hope this uh, this week is Games Done Quick. Because that, that kicked off this week. And it's uh, Summer Games Done Quick 2020. 
benefiting Doctors Without Borders, which is a wonderful cause. Really one of the, the better big charities out there. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You know, not just in terms of, you know, their commitment to what they do and, you know, the, the you know, what actually gets donated, right? It also is a really good cause, you know, and, and really dedicated people. Um, and Games Done Quick kind of has, because it's being done remotely, it's kind of cool because it's just these individual streamers and players talking about the game and really getting into it kind of without like the crowd disruption it's not a, it's not a crowd of it it's really feels much more personal and that's been really neat i almost like it more hmm. it's making me want to watch it more because like part of what is so intimidating for me about watching anything with games done quick and, and i rarely do i generally like pick one or two games that i'm very familiar with and i, I watch those ones sure you watch like the youtube video yeah yeah Part, part of the intimidation of it is it's like this massive community and it's just like, well, I can't get into that because there's mm-hmm. already so many people. I can't fit in that room. And and having it be smaller is sort of making it more accessible to me in a different way. And I think it's also done a good job help because it's virtual. People who literally just couldn't make the trip mm-hmm. get to be the person running the game. Yeah. Because they don't have to travel. So there have been some really good runs, you know, a couple of ones that I wouldn't watch with my kids, apparently, but um, <laughs> there's some really cool stuff. I was watching a Trackmania run. It was just this very personable guy just going over everything, being super friendly and getting these great, you know, he was just kind of pulling donations out for, you know, this great cause of, you know, hey, I'm going to show these shortcuts. Oh, I messed this up. Let me show you how we recover from it. It's cool. <laughs> We're smooth. Right? That, stuff like that. It was just fun. And so that's been kind of uplifting because it's like, oh, you know what? We're, we're all kind of pulling together about about more than just COVID, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's good stuff. David, great question. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you or anyone else wants to support us on Patreon, you can do so. Patreon.com slash saving the game. There's a link on our website, too. You know, as little as a dollar a month, you get to put questions in. And there are other tiers that add higher rewards. But, yeah, that's probably the big one. Doesn't take a lot. If you don't want to support us through Patreon, you know, or even if you do, please, you know, like the episode, share it around, you know, leave a review. All of those things, those interactions help enormously. And if you just say, hey, I've been listening to this and it was good and share it out, that helps so much. So take a minute to do that if you have the time. It helps us tremendously. We've got some scripture. Daniel chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace." And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. 
And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Matthew 9, verse 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And this is James one twenty-seven. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We are wrapping up our alignment series. Doug, I gotta ask you, what made you want to come on for this episode in particular? I just found, and I know you noticed, that whenever you had one of your alignment episodes, I had a bunch of thoughts. One of the things I'm finishing right now the thing that I hope to upload to the DMs Guild soon, includes a bunch of house rules for alignment. And some of those house rules came out of me thinking about your episodes and how I would do things differently, and also how I've used alignment in different ways in games. So I just found that I, 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 had, a lot of, I had a lot of thoughts, it turns out, in the area of alignment. And I was excited and I thought, you know, I've wanted to try to politely invite myself onto the podcast before. So I was like, I'm just going to go for it. Let's see how this goes. It took you long enough. <laughs> I know. I know. Social anxiety and all that. It's okay. No, it's I, I understand. I, I can definitely speak for myself, and I'm pretty sure I can speak for at least Grant and probably Jenny as well. And it's like, when are we going to finally get dug on? Yeah. <laughs> It was good that you finally found something that you were passionate about and invited yourself because it's like, we, we mm-hmm. need to get dug on. He's been on the well, list to be clear, for a while. This isn't the first time I've been passionate about what you guys talk about. It's just the first time that I decided to take the step and invite myself over to play. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> it works. Absolutely works. I guess the, the best place to start, we, we talked about all of these alignments and, you know, kind of the order of doing all the lawful stuff, then all the neutral stuff, then all the chaotic stuff. And let's run through a a few things that we missed. And I don't want to spend a ton of time on each of these necessarily, but the things that we kind of went, ah, man, after the fact. First one is probably the biggest one, I I think, Peter. Yeah, I was apparently not on my game for lawful good. It was the first one. Because (laughs) I have three relatively big things here that really should have been in the episode that weren't. So the first one is the Metropolitan Police Act of 1829 and the Nine Standing Orders. This is kind of what I would say is the foundation of the better parts of modern policing. They're sometimes called the Pelian Principles, but even the UK Home Office doesn't really ascribe them all to him. Uh, Rather, a couple of the other people, Charles Rowan and Richard Maine, were more likely to have actually written them. If you want to read the entire list. I think it's a very good and very timely thing to look up. I'm not going to go through and read all nine of them right now. They're also in a blog post called Articulated Thoughts that I would really like you to read if you hadn't. So here's a push to go read that. They're down towards the bottom of that. But I do want to call something out in principle number five here. I'm just going to read that one. It's uh, to seek and preserve public favor, not by pandering to public opinion, but by constantly demonstrating absolutely impartial service to law and complete independence of policy and without regard to the justice or injustice of the substance of individual laws by ready offering of individual service and friendship to all members of the public without regard to their wealth or social standing by ready exercise of courtesy and friendly good humor, and by ready offering of individual sacrifice and protecting and preserving life. 
There is a chunk in the middle that I take a little bit of issue with, which is without regard to the justice or injustice of the substance of individual laws. Uh, I, I think like there's in some law enforcement and military codes, there's stuff about specifically there being a duty to disobey unjust orders. I think that would be better than this in here. However, on substance, I think the nine standing orders are largely lawful good and lay down kind of the foundation to what is known as policing by consent, which is has turned out very well in the places in the world that have actually managed to get it working because it is not based on fear. It is based on cooperation. Peel himself, as Jenny has pointed out and is probably chomping at the bit to talk about, yep. was a product of his time and... I hate that phrase so much. Sorry. Well, okay, okay <laughs> but I mean... There, there's no other way of putting it. Uh, okay, you know, but there he... is, though. But there is, though, Peter, because you don't get to call Irish people liars and then be like, oh, product of the time. Because the Irish people knew they weren't lying about the famine anyway. No, 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 no. Hang on. <laughs> it was it was very common in that time for Englishmen to be racist against Irish people. I'm not excusing it or saying it was good, but... You know, that's... Ah, uh, but, but okay, 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 okay. It was it was bad, but it was common. <laughs> the way that I have looked, not, not even just necessarily at, like, the stuff that he said about Irish people, but I look at his political career as one not of, I want to do good by people, but I want to, to have good optics for me. He did not end the Irish famine because he wanted to help Irish people. It looked very good on paper to do so. Straight up saying that the Irish are prone to exaggeration, therefore we shouldn't, you know, look into helping them. Oh my goodness, I don't care. I don't care if they're a product of their time. It's it, it, To me, that's like saying that slave owners were a product of their time because, you know, it was so common to own slaves. I don't, I don't care about that. The slaves knew that slavery was wrong. So As did, as did the abolitionists. Yeah. Yeah. So, so no, no product of time. I, I don't care. I hate that phrase so much. And, and that particular type of phrasing has started to get used a lot more recently when talking about the Great Irish Famine. And I hate it. I hate it so much. It didn't have to be as bad as it was. And it, and it got very bad. Yeah, see about a thousand other things in history where people were just self-interested yeah, and I didn't just, care. I just don't, I don't want to give Peel a pass here. I, I'm calling him lawful selfish. Okay. I'm calling him lawful selfish right now. Like I said, the, you know, the, the little bit of additional research that I did, it looks like, you know, Charles Rowan and Richard Maine might be the ones that get the, the better yeah. treatment. The, the principles but... are, are okay. I still have, I have the same quibbles that you do with the principles. Yeah but still better than the rule by force and terror kind of stuff that we see all too often. So yeah, moving on to the second one, which is probably going to be significantly less controversial. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to probably be the longest chunk of anything that I've tried to read on the podcast for a while, but I think it's really, really good. So this is from letter from a Birmingham jail by Martin Luther King Jr. You express a great deal of anxiety over our willingness to break laws. This is certainly a legitimate concern. Since we so diligently urge people to obey the Supreme Court's decision of 1954 outlawing segregation in the public schools, at first glance it may seem rather paradoxical for us to consciously break laws. One may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? 
The answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. I would be the first to advocate obeying just laws. One has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. Now, what is the difference between the two? How does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. To put it in terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal law and natural law. Any law that uplifts human personality is just. Any law that degrades human personality is unjust. All segregation statutes are unjust because segregation distorts the soul and damages the personality. It gives the segregator a false sense of superiority and the segregated a false sense of inferiority. Segregation, to use the terminology of the Jewish philosopher Martin Buber, substitutes an I-it relationship for an I-thou relationship and ends up relegating persons to the status of things. Hence, segregation is not only politically, economically, and sociologically unsound, it is morally wrong and sinful. Paul Tillich has said that sin is separation. Is not segregation an existential expression of man's tragic separation, this awful estrangement, his terrible sinfulness? Thus, it is that I can urge men to obey the 1954 decision of the Supreme Court, for it is morally right, and I can urge them to disobey segregation ordinances, for they are morally wrong. Amen. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Martin Luther King, people, is the reason why we love him so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that probably more than anything else that we've said in the whole series probably sums up the essence of lawful good. You could argue neutral good, too, but that's definitely some kind of good in there. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the good. I mean, obviously, we're not going to argue that. And I was thinking about like what makes this lawful good as opposed to neutral good. So maybe because he kind of views the solution as social and collective behavior. So what he's trying to change is behavior and all the people around him. And the argument he's making is definitely a, a lawful argument. You know, he's appealing to uh, both law and good. So it makes yeah. sense for this to be, it's a very lawful good quote, I think. He's calling for more just laws and orders. Yeah, and less unjust ones. Yeah. And then the last example I have in here is Bass Reeves. What a dude, by the way. Unfortunately, it, I looked up a book about the guy uh, there aren't that many books about him that I could find, and it seems like the only one I could find was, like, a historical textbook. But just, Is like, that Black read... Gun, Silver Star? I think I think so. Yeah. I, I can't remember the exact title off my off the top of my head. I've, I've got it. I haven't made it all the way through it because, unfortunately, it's drier than he was. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> and he really wasn't... Okay, so here's the, here's the real injustice. Bass Reeves was a fascinating guy. His biography is real dull, y'all. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh. The Wikipedia page on the guy is just an absolute... It's fun. Yeah. He, okay, so he was a black U.S. marshal um, in the Indian Territory back in you know, the 1800s. Uh, he's credited with bringing in over 3,000 wanted fugitives. He was very restrained in his use of force. He was utterly incorruptible. He was known to stop and help like random people with stuck wagons. He was a big dude. 
Master of Disguise, he actually hauled in his own son at one point because his son had murdered his wife, which is pretty messed up and sad. It, it is really hard to overstate what a singularly impressive man he was in terms of both competence and, like, character and integrity. And it's like, this guy deserves, like, a deluxe, like, HBO miniseries or something about his life, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Just... This utterly incorruptible, you know, smart, interesting, incredibly decent guy and some rough territory during a dangerous time of history. And he died of natural causes after years and years and years of doing this. Yeah, he was a really cool dude. There's, It's been speculated that he was the real world blueprint for the Lone Ranger. And sort of like with Audie Murphy, the legend is actually toned down from reality because the reality seems unrealistic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he was he was cool. I can't believe I forgot him in, in the Lawful Good episode, so I wanted to correct that. He seems like one of those historical figures, and this is what I know about him is his Wikipedia page, but he seems like one of those historical figures who's clearly a player character. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Takes, <laughs> takes agency. Had character points. He's got levels. He's got classes. He's got something that most yeah. people just don't yeah, have. He's, he's he's like Hedy Lamar or Teddy Roosevelt or something. You look at him as like, yep, player character. Yep. <laughs> Next, lawful neutral. I don't know that we have a ton to say necessarily, although... We covered some of it already. We have, because there is some question of like, are these, especially with guys like Peel, are they like actually lawful good or is it more like lawful neutral order for the sake of order? It's it's always tough. We had that whole conversation with lawful neutral already. And I don't think any of us had anything to add for lawful evil. No, I think that was one of the stronger episodes in the series. That was one of our shortest episodes. It was very much open and shut, if I'm recalling correctly. Basically, what we're saying is we nailed lawful evil and that shouldn't be the point of reference for everyone going forward. <laughs> Neutral good. Yeah, something I just wanted to hit on a little bit that can sometimes come up, and we actually ran into a little bit when we were outlining this. You can you can run into the idea where you make the standard for good so high that it kind of doesn't exist. And I'd personally like to push back on that a little bit. People are imperfect, but that doesn't automatically drop them into neutrality by human standards. Now, by certain theological doctrines, we're all in the deep end of evil, of course, but it's a little bit of a different discussion. One other thing that I also kind of want to note there is by eliminating good from the scale, it can draw like dangerous false equivalencies between things that are imperfect and things that are actually dangerous. Uh, you will run into that in basically any kind of ideological discussion if you participate in it long enough. Politics, theology, philosophy. The perfect is the enemy of the good, is what we're saying. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And the perfect doesn't exist, so. Uh -huh. Even if we go, because you mentioned the theological doctrines, we could, you know, look at ourselves as deep in the end of evil. For me, that just kind of moves the goalposts, you know, so now you're like, okay, granted that, that's not that interesting. So what, how do we, how do we tease out degrees? Like if we treat everything as the same kind of bad, we get into a lot of nonsensical and dangerous situations, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I will say like, I ran into that a little bit in, in some of the churches that I grew up in where... I would get some kind of like well-meaning youth leaders and stuff. And it's like, you know, all, all sin is sin and it's all equally bad. And it's like, no, shoplifting and mass murder are not the same in the eyes yeah. of God. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely also heard that from church, unfortunately, 
Uh, maybe more than any other place. That Like, all sin is evil, all sin is equally bad, and that just seems on its face not helpful. <laughs> yeah. Not a helpful way to look at it. I think it comes from one specific, oft-misquoted verse that I'm now going to terribly misquote my own self, but it's something along... It gets quoted with... When one person cries, we all cry together. And then also, if you think about murdering somebody, it's as bad as if you'd done it. Mm -hmm. Misquoting that is, it's a staple of that kind of discussion. I'm tired of it. Yeah, it's taking what seems like Jesus doing some rabbinical hyperbole and turning it into a statement about metaphysics. Yeah. Like it's, he's not saying that as a metaphysical statement. He's saying that as a way of waking you up. To not being arrogant because you haven't literally killed anyone. Yeah. yeah. I've also seen it used to basically tell people that struggle with intrusive thoughts that they're a bad person because they struggle with intrusive thoughts and mental health issues. Yeah. Oh, it enrages yeah, that one, me. That hits close to home and makes me very angry indeed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cosine. <laughs> true neutral. Yeah, Doug, you had something here that was kind of interesting. Because I remember listening to your episode on true neutral and you guys were kind of struggling to figure out how to make it interesting. And so I started thinking about what kinds of things, what kinds of player characters might be interesting who are true neutral. What I came to is this idea that if your character is true neutral, that means that you have to focus your character on something that isn't a moral stance because they're not taking a strong moral stance. And so what is the other thing that they're focused on? So I came up with someone who's like an arcane researcher and their number one priority is discovering arcane secrets or someone who defends the material plane from incursions from other planes. I thought it'd be interesting to have like a labor organizer, someone who wanted to sort of lift up the lowly and bring down the high, or maybe a druid who is opposed to technology itself, kind of regardless of how it's used, or an explorer who's excited about, who wants to be the first person to get to a new place and experience a new thing, but doesn't have like a moral stance that drives them, but instead has some other priority. Just kind of pure thrill of discovery stuff there. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. I don't love or hate society. I, I'm not especially generous or cruel. I just really want to be the first person to set foot on a new continent or to see something no one's seen before. Yeah, I could see that. And just for me, that was a fun approach to looking at a true neutral character, imagining how I would play them. Because in that case, unless you're going to go with the cosmic balance, true neutral, which can be interesting... Because it's kind of a moral stance. Unless you're going to go with that, you're sort of not motivated by morality so much. So the question then is, what else motivates you? Sure. It kind of puts me in the mind of Ernest Shackleton. Yeah. Quickly Googles Ernest Shackleton. As a thumbnail sketch, I think he could be a good example of true neutral, but I want to explore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe leaning lawful or good, but probably somewhere in that true neutral range. But I think you could make the case true neutral. Yeah. And certainly still... An extraordinary, heroic person who had a, had an amazing story. It just wasn't a story driven by a moral question one way or the other. And I think with that particular brand of true neutral, you can play it either focusing on neutrality. I think you could also focus on playing into the chaotic side of it based on how you tone the story. Hmm. I think the way that, that we talked about the chaotic side of the spectrum was not necessarily wanting chaos or destruction or anything like that, but wanting something outside of what society wants. And so I think you could definitely go a chaotic direction with that, but you could also definitely lean into the neutral side of just pure discovery want, um, as it were. 
That's a good point. I could see that as a chaotic, as a take on chaotic neutral that isn't leans away from the obnoxious tendency. Maybe I don't want to go with what society tells me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to do my own thing and and go my own direction. But I'm still not motivated by a, a moral question or an ethical question. Fair enough. Neutral evil. We missed Dolores Umbridge, and I'm kicking myself for that. <laughs> for for those that aren't familiar with Harry Potter, like me. Unpack. (laughs) Okay, Dolores Umbridge could, if you sort of, at the start of Order of the Phoenix, which is the fifth book, it looks like she's going to be lawful evil. Like, just pure and simple, because she's this this new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher who's been brought in by the Ministry. And just real quick, every Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher has just been a huge problem up to this point. Hey, that's not fair on Remus, who is a very nice man, and just... Unfortunate circumstances and stuff. I said problem, not bad guy. Uh, he he wouldn't have been a problem if Snape hadn't been a problem. Anyway, Dolores Umbridge is basically there to be a mouthpiece for the Ministry of Magic, which is being super duper sketchy. And you're thinking, oh, she's going to be, you know, lawful evil. Because that's sort of the way that the Ministry is tending right now. And then it turns out that she is just sadistic. And we, I had a Dolores Umbridge teacher in grade four. Oh, and no. Mm. Oh, oh, she was just cruel. And it wasn't for any gain. It didn't teach us anything. She would just drag kids around the school by their ears. Wow. And and just humiliate children in front of their peers. And she didn't seem to do it because she thought it would do us any good. I think she just enjoyed it. It was pure sadism. Grade four was one of the worst school years of my whole dang life. It was awful because of that teacher. And Dolores Umbridge is like the personification of of just methodical humiliation and and suffering of others. Mm. Just awful. And we didn't mention her at all. And I feel bad about that. Fair. That is fair. Chaotic good. The one overlap player between our Saturday and Sunday games always plays chaotic good. And she does a really good job with it. (laughs) I think she actually informed a pretty good sized chunk of the discussion that we had kind of on a subconscious level, at least for me. There's there's that kind of like follow your own moral compass thing that we talked about with Elizabeth. And but the the moral compass is, is pretty generously and kindly calibrated, even if it doesn't care that much about rules specifically. And just thought I'd throw her a little credit there. So no, that's that's cool. definitely fair. Yeah, chaotic neutral. This is the one that's kicking me. And we did mention the outsider a little bit in our cosmic horror episode recently. But I realized as we were doing the cosmic horror episode, I was like, oh, the outsider from Dishonored is my baseline for every chaotic neutral NPC I've thrown at the kids at the game that I was running at the library. Just completely alien motivations and and mysterious and not so focused on destruction necessarily, but definitely keen to watch something interesting. Just heavy on the curiosity. Not that hostility of something that is Lovecraftian, Mm -hmm. but just utterly alien. Yes, completely and utterly alien. Definitely still something somewhat familiar, but sort of dips into the uncanny valley of you don't know what this person is thinking. Right. And I am very... I made up a spider character. I can't remember if I mentioned the spider character or not uh, on the mics, but I made up a spider character uh, to sort of mildly creep the kids out, and I accident. I think I went a little bit too far. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> 
because there was this point where I was like, so you know a spider, right? And they've got eight eyes on the front of their head. So what if there was just eyes all over the torso? Oh, no. <laughs> and, then, and then it bends itself backwards to look at you better. Oh. And, uh... <laughs> that would have creeped me out. <laughs> the kids got really creeped out, but then tur- the, the spider turned out to be nice. Just ha- it came from this insect and arachnid society that was so foreign to the kids that they like like the the spider mentioned that it was full of its friends and and the kids eventually found out that that basically meant that as its friends had died and and it had conducted ritual funereal cannibalism i believe it is where mm-hmm. you basically eat the dead right. the spider had just gotten real big it had started off as a normal small spider <laughs> but it just happened to have lived longer than all of its friends it didn't kill them but it just it just uh it just uh, was full of its friends and and was perfectly okay with that and absolutely did freak out the kids a bit. And to me, that was just, I started off with this idea of, I want to go Uncanny Valley like The Outsider. How do I do that? Then how do I change it so that it's not just The Outsider from Dishonored? If you haven't played Dishonored, by the way, please do that. Um, Dishonored 2 was okay. But Dishonored 1 is still one of my favorite games. It's interesting that you mentioned spiders, because as you were talking about this, I got to thinking about the spider section of the monster burner for the Burning Wheel RPG. Oh, yeah. And that's real fitting to that. Oh. You and Luke Crane were thinking along very similar lines there. Fun fact, I also, I, like, did that all as improv. Like, I wasn't intending the spider to have a personality. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yeah, I just thought, like, the kids hadn't fought anything for a while, and then I gave it a robot voice, and I just decided that it would be somewhat unsettling. And I sort of, I guess I sort of melded GLaDOS with The Outsider. Mm. Well, if you haven't, if you've got access to the monster burner from somebody in, like, your up there gaming groups or something, check it out sometime. Look at the life paths. I'll see. I I don't know if I do. I haven't even thought about burning a wheel in a very long time. (laughs) It's been, it's been off the radar for yeah. a very long time. If we're going to be at the same gaming convention, remind me and I'll try and remember to bring it with me and you can <laughs> look at my copy. So right. Burning Wheel books are not a, a big ask to pack. They're about the size <laughs> of a trade paperback. So yeah. I am obligated uh, because I talked about, you know, I just kind of did some brainstorming on this episode with my wife, as I often do. And thus I'm obligated to add that Chrissy says chaotic neutral is the best alignment and you're all wrong. So <laughs> fair enough. Go. I was, I was actually just thinking, um, I had a chance to read Sandman overture oh, yeah. a couple days ago, which is one of those, it's like, it's like many of the Sandman comics where every page is a masterpiece, but I was thinking about how a lot of the endless, I think could be characterized as chaotic neutral. I think delirium is definitely chaotic neutral. Almost stereotypically so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then des- I would say desire and maybe despair might be chaotic neutral. And a lot of the conflict that comes up with them and their brother Dream is because he's more lawful. And he's always talking about, like, I have a responsibility. There are rules that have to apply. And, of course, if someone hasn't read Sandman, this won't make a lot of sense. But that just like, occurred to me as we were sitting here talking. Yeah, I can buy that. It's not like you kind of think, oh, well, they represent these fundamental concepts. They must be lawful, but they don't behave that way as characters at all. No, they don't. Yeah, some of them are very chaotic. They're very much, I hate being told what to do more than anything. Yeah. And I will do what I think is right, period. And then the last one, chaotic evil. I mean, there's a bunch of 
examples of this we could have thrown down? Doug, yeah, you had a few. Yeah, I was thinking about, you know, if I was in a campaign with someone who wanted to play a chaotic evil character, when would that make sense? I mean, always would be a little red flag there. But a few things that came to mind for me is uh, if you played something similar to Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. I feel like many of the characters in that movie are chaotic evil. Vampire the Masquerade came to mind as a game where if you, for some reason, ported D&D alignment over to it, a lot of the characters would be chaotic evil, but still have interesting stories and moral questions posed to them despite that. And then in terms of published campaigns, I thought that uh, chaotic evil might make sense for Curse of Strahd, since, you know, you want to escape and be free and you just want to hurt Strahd worse than he hurt you. Also, possibly Out of the Abyss, a chaotic evil character might make sense. Just in terms of thinking, like, if someone wanted to play chaotic evil in a game where I'd be comfortable playing, um, what what might that look like? It's interesting, too, like you, you brought up Vampire the Masquerade, because we probably should have mentioned this way earlier in the series, too. But each one of those World of Darkness games seems to have its own kind of default alignment. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, I would say that on balance, Mage is or at least Mage the Ascension is probably neutral good. Werewolf is chaotic neutral, I would say. Yeah, I yeah. agree with you there. Wraith, maybe lawful neutral, maybe just neutral. Yeah, possibly. Vampire is clearly lawful evil, <laughs> I think, because it has lots of hierarchy yeah. and yeah, authority. Yeah, the way that the Camarilla works and stuff like that is it's... And the rules that you have to follow and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, ve- very distinct social order. Unless you're doing like a Sabat campaign. Yeah, and then that's just straight up neutral evil, I would think. Yeah, often. Yeah, neutral slash chaotic. Okay, so let's wrap up our alignment discussion here. And the first thing I want to ask everyone is, do we like alignment as a concept, as it's implemented? What's our opinions on alignment as written? Doug, I want to throw this to you. You're our guest and you've, you know, you've got, you're chomping at the bit on this, I can tell. So what do you think? (laughs) So I would say I like alignment as a concept. Um, I really like the capacity to ask interesting moral questions in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and I would want that to be in there. I wouldn't want to remove alignment, you know, as a system, as a thing on the character sheet, as something to consider uh, when I was playing and, you know, just have people with no set moral compass, I guess. Um, as it's implemented, as as it exists, and as it has existed for a long time, I don't like it. Um, I don't think it's a good solution for the question of how do we ask moral questions in D&D. You know, there's a reason that you can get that uh, that meme that was going that, that's going around where you have all nine alignments in the grid and you have a quote from Batman in every one of the alignments. You know, it's because alignment is kind of nonsensical yes. and it doesn't reflect the way people think about moral questions in the real world, in life. So I I want alignment in the game, but I want it to run differently. I have a few ideas for that, but uh, I definitely want it there, just not in its current form. Okay. Jenny, you're running games for young kids, or, well, kids at any rate. Was running. We'll we'll see if that ever happens again. Oh, dear. Yeah. But you've been doing it recently. Right. So relative D&D neophytes. I think children are terrible think? at it. I think they, they they are not good at alignment at all, because what they think they're doing 
or what they think their alignment is doesn't match up with their actions at all. And the vast majority of kids actually play neutral good most of the time. <laughs> um, you know, okay. <laughs> a really good example of that that we were both there for. Remember in your Deck of yes. Many Things game, Terry Dyer's kid was sitting next to me and she got like hit with this alignment flipping effect that changed her character from chaotic good to lawful evil and did not change her behavior at all. And we just made all of these like comments and jokes about how it's like there is no soil for evil None. to take root in. in this uh, it was very sweet. But yeah, like all of the kids <laughs> thought that they were playing some form of chaotic, except for one child who happened to roll randomly uh, uh, lawful good, I believe. And and he was actually pretty good at it, but the vast majority of children, I think, default to neutral good. They're terrible at it. Overall, alignment is not the absolute worst mechanic I've seen for determining something foundational to a character's identity. Cough, exalted, cough. There is, I think there's a lot of room for improvement on alignment, and, and I just... I think any alignment system that you come up with should be descriptive rather than prescriptive uh, by which I mean um, your alignment is chosen by what you do rather than you choose your alignment therefore you can do XYZ I'm not a fan a of, of the yeah. way that third edition did alignment at mm. all um, as a mechanic as a mechanical thing I think it it as a descriptive thing I much prefer it I think it's something that also should be uh, an optional thing that a player can just choose not to do. Yeah, I think I think it does need to be a a, a choice made possibly by the group. I think more more realistically at the individual player level, whether or not they are going to use alignment as a tool. Yeah. We are given a lovely toolbox from which to choose our tools. We do not need to just throw everything at a piece of wood and hope that it, you know, makes a wonderful sculpture. Because that's not how it works. <laughs> that's fair. Peter. Okay, so I'm probably going to be the dissenting opinion here, at least with you and a little bit with Doug. I, I kind of sit closer to Jenny in that I don't mind it. Uh, I do think it has some flaws. I think one of the biggest ones is the fact that we've gotten somewhere between half an hour and a full hour of discussion out of every individual alignment is perhaps an indication that if you are going to use it, a few pithy lines of text are pretty inadequate uh, for describing kind of what's encompassed in that. I, I disagree with Jenny a little bit in that I... One of the things that I do kind of miss about 3rd edition is there were certain, like, aligned spells, you know, like good and evil ones and that sort of thing, which made casters of those alignments feel different from each other. Um, okay, so I didn't want to get into this nonsense too much. And... I didn't want to get into this too much, but with that kind of thing, that's where I am all in favor of the GM <laughs> taking full and total control over what the player's alignments are. And I that that's a thing that people don't really like very much at all, but I do because firstly, I think it allows for a lot of the GM being able to sort of ho hopefully, and I, I think there's like a huge amount of room for abuse in this, but I think it allows for a sort of an outside perspective to say, hey, I know that generally you're lawful good, but the last little while you have been acting 
just so rude and bad and awful, you cannot cast this spell anymore because your heart isn't in the right place. That's where where hmm. I am. I, I it, that's why I like the idea of the GM not exactly controlling, but the GM being the deciding factor in like yeah adjudicating yeah, yeah. sort of a more adjudicating role kind of thing. And that's a controversial one, and and okay, that's like you, you would have to get full player no, consent I, in that. But it's controversial just because I, yeah, I think it's controversial just because people don't like GMs having any yeah. say in a character at all. And you're right that it is rife with abuse because uh-huh. we all know the kind of people who would do that, or at least well, right. we've all heard stories of those kind of people. Hopefully, we're not still playing with them, but still. Yeah, I I do have a couple other quick thoughts before we run off too far yeah, down this road. Um, I I think the uh, the concept of racial alignments is pretty yes. offensive, with the um the single oh, yeah. exception of like extra planar beings that are supposed to embody philosophical principles. Yeah. So I have no problem with all angels being good. I have no problem with all demons being evil. I, I really don't have a huge problem with like default alignments applying to dragons either because they feel like they're in that same kind of higher tier of existence and kind of embody certain concepts. And, you know, then th- I don't, I'm not particularly bothered by things like Slotty and Modrons and that sort of thing. But like for sure. mortal player character, you know, people... Yeah, like the the whole racial alignment thing is bad. <laughs> it's just it's it's racist, it's offensive, it's very creatively limiting. It doesn't add anything. Um it it forces a lot of uh like potential player character options into very typecast and stereotypical and tired and hackneyed places and I yeah. I don't like it for those reasons. Uh, I also think kind of something that we were all getting at a little bit as we went through the the wider discussion but didn't explicitly acknowledge is I think probably third edition's alignments were the closest to the way that we see them. I don't know if that's edition bias because we all played a lot of 3E. I entered the game there unless you want to count like the Baldur's Gate games and... I don't know. I like I went back and I read over them and it seems very consistent a lot of in a lot of cases with how we've been describing them. So, yeah. My recollection of third ed is also that that was the addition because I played first and second. Um, and I think third ed was the addition that tried to write more alignment mechanics. Oh, into there were tons. The game. Like, I don't think. There wasn't that much depth of like, oh, you're a good aligned cleric, so you have these spells, but maybe not these. There was less of that in previous editions, and I think they tried to take alignment and write it into more of the game. And so it it makes sense that they would have put more thought into it as well. Like it was a bigger deal. And so maybe more careful thinking went into what the alignments were. Yeah, and I, I think perhaps that was also just the specific designers working on it, too, frankly. I mean, the, the teams have been different for different editions. And uh, Monty Cook wrote, you know, a, the Book of Isle Darkness for uh, Moatsy, and then he turned around and did two different installments of the Book of Hallowed Might for his own company. So he's clearly given that a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think some of that may just be down to Monty Cook thinking about it a lot. If that's the case, good job, money. 
Yeah, I like I yeah. said, I I don't have this this burning hate for like alignment spells and stuff that a lot of people do. I think they're fun and they add stuff as long as, like Jenny said, they're they're used well. Uh, because I think if you completely get rid of them, you either wind up with things where you've got an ostensibly good character casting like inflict wounds and animate dead without really critically looking at that at all. Or you've just got this thing where it's like everybody just casts the most optimal thing all the time and it's just very flat. You can't tell like a a good character apart from an evil one and the, the way that their Eldritch magic blast, manifests. Cough. Sorry, what was that, Jenny? <laughs> cough, Eldritch Blast, cough. <laughs> I'm so yeah, tired of Eldritch yeah. Blast still. <laughs> all right. So I am a little more on Jenny's side of things here, but... Ultimately, I think alignment as designed doesn't work. And and here's the problems I have with it. I think it still exists because it's a sacred cow. Yeah. Right? In 5th edition. Yeah. Because if you look at – so here's, here's the first problem I have. Jenny, I like the idea of moving around on a moral scale. And Doug, you talked about this a little bit, or and I know you have some other mm-hmm. opinions on this. I like – positioning yourself on some sort of scale and saying, yeah, this is about where I am. And and ideally a couple of those, right? It's one of the reasons I'm interested in, say, Pendragon. I like Unknown Armies. It does some psychological stuff that can sort of inform morality. It's not the same thing. Original World of Darkness had your morality scales, right? Uh, that one mm-hmm. had some issues because it was a one-dimensional scale. But, you know, it... it, it it worked, kind of. Those are scales with multiple points on them. Alignment doesn't have that. Are you mm-hmm. good, neutral, or evil? That's a that's a very broad scale. How about chaotic and lawful and neutral? Just as broad. The, the generalization is so huge and so problematic, you can't do things easily like hey, you're starting to lose some of your powers because your morality is slipping. It's all or nothing. So if you ask the GM to adjudicate that, it's either, yeah, it's fine, whatever, I don't care, or, hey, uh, you woke up and all your powers are gone. Well, that stinks. That's not fun. Yeah. I just took your whole, I took your character away rather than I, you are slipping slowly, giving up little bits in exchange for other things, right? So there's that problem. Mm -hmm. If you want to make it mechanically interesting, you have to have that. I think there is a, and this is an implementation problem in third edition. I don't think this is necessarily an alignment problem specifically, but there are a lot of the like spells that were, uh, alignment based were exact copies of each other they just changed the damage type it was boring and or it was hey this one heals this one hurts so creative I, it, it wasn't <laughs> exciting it wasn't interesting uh, the there, other was a, problem, there was a fair amount of variation in there. There were some that were there direct mirrors not, of each other. I can but... assure you there was not because I <laughs> memorized the entire uh, like expanded spell compendium they put out at the end of D&D 3.5 because I was a munchkin. <laughs> I, trust me, it, there was nothing interesting. At the most, you got different elementals. 
Uh, there was one set of ninth level spells that were interesting, and nobody ever cast them in any sort of reasonable game. Now, I can't speak to third party material, but as far as first party, no good. Okay. I I did and have always used a lot of third party material, and that's where a lot of interesting design happens. So maybe I'm giving too much credit to Watsy. That's entirely and, possible. And I think you I think you are. And the larger D20 community may have had more interesting stuff going on, but when your first party products make it boring, that is a problem. Yeah. Now, here's the other piece of this. If if I ask somebody, hey, what's your character's alignment, and they say, chaotic good, that does not tell me sufficient information about your character to get any sort of idea of how I'm going to interact with this character, because it's a two very broad, very general scales that don't give enough information either way. So I then have to ask more questions, and the response is, well, they behave like this. But saying I behave, you know, my character behaves like this completely obviates the entire alignment thing because you've already explained it. You've given them your character, which makes this broad alignment categorization completely useless. Why did you create this? You could have just said, tell me about your character, and I have gotten the information without going through the alignment hoop first. And what's funny about this is 5th edition, first off, they removed, I think, all of the alignment mechanics from the game. Yeah. There's a few magic right? items that are still affected by it. Sure. Well, you could easily say if, you know, if they don't match this item's principles, the, you know, the user can't use it, right? That'd be pretty easy to write into the magic item. And then there is no mechanical reason whatsoever to have this. So why are we still doing it? And what's hilarious to me is that there's a better alignment system on the D&D 5th edition character sheet, the official one, right under alignment. You're talking about the flaws, personality, traits, etc.? Ideals and bonds, yeah. yes. Those four categories are a much better description of the character than alignment ever could be. It's much more interesting. And it's right there. But we still have to put a little two-letter character code on our character sheet for simple categorization because of reasons. Yeah, it's a sacred cow. I mean, people will look at a stat block and they'll expect to see those two letters somewhere because yeah. it's D&D. Now, if it still had mechanical application, that'd be something, right? At least there is a game mechanic involved. But they took that out. Because they said, hey, this isn't important, and it makes the game problematic, but they still kept it in, because it is a sacred cow. Exactly. Now, racial alignments, far worse. We talked about those. I'm in complete agreement. They're gross. Get rid of them. Uh, again, for anything other than the most fundamental, you know, iconic forces, right? And it's just, the one thing I will add is that for all the, the books have things printed in them that we disagreed with throughout this series and occasionally accepted as, yeah, okay, that's fine. The community take on D&D alignment is so much worse because it's a mishmash of opinions about alignment from all sorts of things not limited to official D&D books across the eras, and it's so much worse. Well, if I have to hear one more person say how, like, the character is whatever they think they are instead of their actual actions, I'm going to explode. Yes. Yes. 
Well, and all You're that acting like, chaotic evil, well, but I think I'm lawful good, so therefore, no. Yeah, You're just no, no, no. wrong. All of that sort of stuff. Or, you know, uh, you know, uh, you you still have to atone, you know, paladins can fall. Like, well, that's not in the rule book yeah. because there are no mechanics, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, listen, for all that for all that alignment is a useless system in my opinion, the community only makes it worse, which is impressive and not at all surprising. <sighs> it's also it, it's worth noting that like with 40 years of an idea and time to think it through and refine it and improve it, it's still really unclear and often unhelpful. Sure. I mean, like that's a bad that's a bad track record for a pretty long la- I mean the idea is a little older than yeah. I am. It's not great. Yeah, so uh, so um just just a yeah. quick <laughs> question for you here. This is this is going back to an old thing that I worked on, you know, briefly and never did anything with again, but what did you think of like the breaking it down into like individual sins and virtues for good and evil and then like personality traits for law versus chaos that I did? Something closer to that do you think is a good fix or does not you even ran into the same anywhere. You ran into the same granularity problem where you did not want to have a large scale. Right. Well, I was trying to f- uh, figure out where how to make things fit within the existing three by three grid with it. So, oh yeah. Well, uh, the the three by three grid is fundamentally one of the problems. <laughs> right. Changing what what you're tracking on those axes really isn't helpful because again, it's so broad, it's kind of useless. I I think the the issue is making it more granular. You know, if I if I look at someone and again, World of Darkness, right? If I look at it and say, oh, this character's got like a a humanity score of six as a vampire, I'm like, okay, I kind of know more what that means because I know what their line is. Do you really? really Because that's a single axis from zero to ten instead of it is a single axis, but it's more granular along the way. Now, the fact that it is a single axis is problematic, right? People can run way off the rails on that. But, you know, when, you, when it comes down to what is this person willing to stoop to, it tells me a lot. And Vampire is a game of resisting the urge to stoop lower and lower. I think that's also part of the thing that I prefer about pretty much every World of Darkness um, alignment-ish thing is that it is inherently tied to the setting. Because D&D, it, it has its own settings for sure, and it's definitely like, yes, yeah. this is Tolkien-esque fantasy. Law, chaos, good, and evil are not inherently tied to fantasy. They are not good at telling specifically a fantasy story. They are not tailored enough to D&D. I would yeah. say good and evil are very tied to fantasy in a lot of cases. That's um. I, I that's, would say they're no more tied to fantasy than they are to sci-fi. Or any I other piece I, of genre fiction. I, I disagree with you there. I think a lot of fantasy is really trying Have to... Have you read a canticle for Leibowitz, Peter? <laughs> no, I have not, but I have heard about it. Um, Please do read it. I've been reading it on to my cat. Okay, hang so on, lovely. hang on, anyway, hang sorry. on. Don't shout me down before you've heard me out. I think a lot of fantasy stories, are, including some like more recent ones even, are really trying to tell that kind of good versus evil, light versus darkness story. Are there exceptions to that? Absolutely. Everything that Joe Abercrombie, George R.R. R. Martin, or um, uh, Glenn Cook has ever written would be, you know, three very well-known exceptions right off the top of my head. But 
like David Eddings, a lot of his stuff is good versus evil. Like Tolkien was very good versus evil. I mean, uh, Robert E. Howard, like the Solomon Kane stories are very good versus evil. I mean, you, you can go Mistborn on a lot of levels is good versus evil, even though it's a little more complex. And that's baked into fantasy. Like it's it's not an every work of fantasy, but nothing is in every work of fantasy. So it's Peter, one of those things I know that kind more of goes works with of sci-fi that are about the, the struggle of good versus evil than are not. And maybe that's just because like I grew up reading YA, but like the ugly series, Leviathan, um, the sky chaser series. These are all books that I have. These are all series that I've brought up on the mics before. Each and every one of them is about good versus evil. I do not think it is very useful to, to to anything other than like the the broadest of like yeah genre fiction it it deals with good and evil. Yeah. It, I I I don't know maybe it's just maybe it's just like what we've individually read that is biasing I would us. I don't buy know. That. <laughs> I okay. <laughs> like we're um, we're we're all going to be biased by the individual media that we've consumed in various genres. That's yeah. That is definitely a thing that will happen. Maybe it's a maybe it's a difference between um, fiction that's trying to sort of uh, function in like a mythic or legendary mode compared to fiction that's more personal or psychological. I'd buy mm. that too. Because some fiction is clearly trying some fiction is clearly trying to tell a big story about good versus evil, which is what mythology tends to do. And then other fiction is more like me versus you or me versus my dysfunctional family. If, if kind I can of stuff. step in here real quick, I think. The morality of fantasy and science fi and genre fiction in general is so important in those stories that it is it does not easily lend itself to a very simple rating system in general because it is largely either a pulpy good versus evil narrative, in which case it's kind of obvious and we don't really have to get into it. We don't have to explore it. It just is we've chosen sides or sides have been given to us or the exploration of it is so deep and it's so central to the story even in cases where the character is not a good character necessarily that trying to mechanically represent that outside of some very story specific methodology would be kind of useless and so i feel like that's kind of where alignment fails it was originally designed in the, you know, the D&D basic books as like, all right, well, this is your side to the point where each alignment had oh, its yeah. own language. You're in team law yeah. or team chaos. Right. And you'd, you'd lose access to it if your alignment changed and gain the other one automatically, <laughs> yeah. which was just yep. weird. <laughs> it's very weird. But again, mm -hmm. that's that idea of like, well, this is just the team. Eh? Okay. But that, again, it doesn't really play well in any setting where we – in any game where we want to explore more complicated characters. And if we all are like, well, we're all playing good characters anyway, did we need a mechanism to tell us that? I don't know. I, I still don't really have any objection to having something explicitly on the character sheet that says this is a very moral character, you know? Or this one yeah, is not. We got, we, you we know? got that right here with the uh, the ideals and bonds and flaws. Eh. <laughs> I, I think the systems are complementary rather than mutually exclusive, like you do. But eh. 
I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think one is utterly unnecessary. That's really what I, it comes down to. I think we're to, at an impasse on this, Grant. I, I, I well, like no, it I, you I, I don't. Just, I don't think we're going to change each other's mind here. So should we well, move yeah, on? Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> well, we can. I'm just, I'm just saying, I, I wanted to clarify, I don't think it is exclusive with good storytelling. I think it doesn't serve that purpose. All right, fair enough. So... I wanted to take a, a quick moment and recognize that, particularly on the, the racial alignment thing that we've railed against for nine episodes and, you know, this one as well, uh, <laughs> there are some things out there that are working to address that. On the mm -hmm. DMs Guild, there's Grazalax's Guide, which is super modular and points-based. It, it kind of lets you create the, the ancestry of your character a la carte almost it's a little gerpsy in some ways actually uh i kind of i like what they were trying to do i don't like the execution it's um real nerfy <laughs> it, it takes a lot of like the mechanical benefits out of being you know an asimar or an elf or that sort of thing uh, mm. to an extent that goes kind of makes playing some fun exotic like fantasy person a little less enjoyable in my opinion uh, i can i can see that absolutely one that does it much better is ancestry and culture which splits a character kind of into two parts what you were born as you know like you know if you're a dragonborn you, this will have things like breath weapon or if um you're an elf you'll your dark vision will be in there and culture which is what you were raised as and among other cool things this will allow you to make characters like carrot iron founderson from the discworld novels who is a human raised among dwarves um and and has dwarfy <laughs> skills and stuff so i i really like that one uh, i think the mechanical execution is significantly better it's already got two supplemental products it's all over the place that one's on drive through rpg uh i strongly suggest checking that out if you're as bugged by racial essentialism as i am i will probably be using that one as a substitute for race going forward in my future I mean, 5e games yeah you sold me as soon as you said you get to play as carrot so yeah right you know. <laughs> like there yeah. can be carrot iron founder said what else do i need to tell you yeah excellent i will play the straight man. yeah uh watsi is apparently working on something similar eh uh, there's also something that I'm probably going to do next time I run a new D&D game, which is just take out race as a mechanic altogether and just give people a plus two and a plus one. And then from there on, it's aesthetics. Because <laughs> there's also kind of there are so many issues. Racial creation. With, yeah, because I, I, like there are so many issues with fantasy races as a concept and why can't i have horns and tusks you know <laughs> no why I, can't I, 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 I gotta say this i've been playing uh replaying breath of the wild recently and there's five specific mm -hmm. races in here and the first question my kids asked when we started going into gerudo town which is an all-female uh town to the point where you have to uh, dress up as a woman to get into the town. Um, you know, not necessarily in an absurd way, but just, hey, get a, get a hide. Like, one of the first questions my kid asks was, well, what happens when they marry and have a kid? It's like, well, um, 
I don't know. I assume they become Gerudo, I guess. But then it's like, well, why can't I have like, you know, be like a half Gerudo, half Hylian? Why can't I be... Okay, if tieflings are people of, you know, devilish ancestry, why can't I be a tiefling dwarf? Yeah, they had some of those in yeah. um, 3.5. They had... Uh, Tannerok they had the, the, and the racial templates. Was, just the racial templates in general. No, right? there was an elf tiefling and an orc tiefling, and they were they they were specific things. It wasn't a template. The orc ones were called tanneroks, and they were like stumpy and dwarf like. And then the elven ones had wings, and I forget exactly what they were called. Mm -hmm. But they were in they yeah, were in I some mean, supplemental book. And that's fair. But again, the the basic idea of why can't I just sort of imagine my character's place in the world and then tell me who they are. Because I, I've said this plenty of times on the show, people, just regular old humans, are just this infinitely complicated and complex mass. We're all weird. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I understand that the, the exception-based design and the race and class structure is a mechanic, but it doesn't lend itself to complicated characters, and people use D&D as a stepping stone into playing complicated and interesting and deep stories with complicated and interesting and deep characters. We need a system that supports that. Yeah, not, not for nothing, but my current four PCs in my Sunday game are a sapient swarm of crickets, a living purple statue that was originally a tiefling and turned into like this stone-bodied person and then is also infused with dream essence that's the paladin by the way yep a human who is infused with fey power and uses that while they fight and a genius half-orc navigator ship captain that's that is literally like my exact four-person sunday game party like and it's awesome yeah yeah they're they're great mm -hmm. You know, yeah, but I mean, how do we fit those people into D&D &D easily? It's tough. You know, yeah, I know we're depending on a lot of third party stuff, but it would be so much more interesting to sit down and say, you know, all right, so let's kind of design this from the ground up and really make you unique and in your and a place for you in the world. And again, I, I know that yeah. there are there's a mechanical design that constrains this, but that's what I have a problem with. I think it's more an issue of just D and D trying to be D and D, like like in terms of design, they're not thinking. I want to play an intelligent swarm of crickets, and then like reverse engineering a system that'll let you do that in an interesting way. It's it, they're just kind of carrying over sacred cows from before, you know, uncritically. Like yeah. why are there half elves and half orcs, but not half dwarves and half halflings and half gnomes yeah. and there's no good there's no good answer for that question really it's just because there wasn't in yeah. fourth ed or third ed i, I do have half gnome half yeah, the curse of my legacy. setting they're called the zawani <laughs> what, what was that jenny hold on and so quick. Did, uh, jenny, uh, Mid midnight jenny, what, what was yours it was just a quick comment it's it's the curse of legacy if if you yeah. are going at, if you're I, okay let me let me phrase this in as blunt a way as I possibly can. 5e should have been a different please. game. <laughs> 5e should have been a Watsy game, but it shouldn't have been D&D. &D. Interesting. 
Okay, unpack Ooh. that. Cool. We don't need alignment. We don't need race. We have an excellent combat. I, I think it's an excellent combat system that moves smoothly and is pretty dang good for also telling a story at the same time. Um, take the D&D out of it and you have fun. <laughs> I have so had more fun more... breaking the D&D stereotypes than I have had following them. Yeah, almost make it more universal. Yeah. And I mean, people are using it for pretty universal. I mean, there's going to be Hellboy. Hellboy is getting mm-hmm. a five E book. Hellboy is not. That is not the system I would have picked. I, but it is, and I think it could work because they are modifying <laughs> it, it enough. It's like it's like there are so many powered by the apocalypse systems, right? And, oh yeah. And powered by five E could be powered by generic fantasy system and i i there is the worry that it would go back to you know roll 20 nonsense but or not roll 20 oh yeah the d20 um, d20 srd d, yeah, OGL yeah, yeah. stuff you could get weird with that but i think 5e would have been better if it wasn't dnd i don't entirely disagree i i have enjoyed running combat oh, yeah. you know like, when i'm focusing on making so much, it go it's still quickly, fun it's still fun but the math is yeah. fantastic. Like, bounded accuracy is one of the best decisions that anybody designing any version of D&D ever did. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's... That was genius. Um, mm-hmm. And it has been converted... Like, you know, once again, third-party stuff here, but it, there's a ultra-modern 5. Check that out. It's literally, like, that same underlying math that you like, but it's designed for modern or sci-fi campaigns. It's very in-depth, it's very well-written, it's very interesting. It's got, like, a a life path character system that kind of stands in for background. Um, there's there's a lot of neat stuff in there. I wonder if you need the goofy tropes to, to bounce off of. Like, I wonder if you had a more general... This mm-hmm. is probably a detour, but I wonder if you had a more general 5e fantasy system if you would get, like, a sort of a blank page issue when, you're, when you go to create a character. Whereas if you have the D&D tropes, then you have the silly tropes to bounce off of and break and twist uh, and react to and come up with I interesting solutions. I mean, I think solutions. a lot of that is done by setting, and you can look at some of the third-party fantasy settings that have been done for it. There's Primeval Thule, which is like Bronze Age fantasy. There's um, Lost Citadel, which is kind of this post-undead apocalypse thing uh, that really limits magic use. Um, there's been ones explicitly based on Greek mythology that aren't the Theros book. Um, there's there's a bunch of like kind of these grim Viking settings out there. There was an official Lord of the Rings one that was based on 5e mechanics. There's been quite a lot. So I yeah, I think you could have probably. But D&D has a huge amount of brand recognition. And I don't think Watsi and Hasbro wanted to leave that money on the table. No, they wouldn't. Oh, definitely yeah. not. And I could certainly see it being the default game, but I do like the idea of saying, a li- being a little more free with, so given that you want to make your own fantasy, here's kind of your your fantasy starter set, you know, but build out from there. I, I could see that working. And that's something that really bothers me about the DMs Guild, because... You have to play within their existing settings in that. Now, the open gaming yeah. license also exists, but it's like the the one that's easiest to use and has the largest audience doesn't really allow you to make your own worlds and stuff. And that's kind of, eh. 
Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I understand why, because the, the OGL, they feel, bit them pretty hard. And I think it bit a lot of publishers and – or not publishers, but a lot of like freelancers who worked for Watsi kind of hard. But Well, but ex- except for they're, they're having it both ways in this edition. The OGL is still out there. It's just a much more yeah. limited amount of stuff that you can use. Well, yeah, no, what I'm saying is the OGL as it was in D&D 3.5. Ah, okay. You know. Basically everything ser- except for Displacer Beast Beholders and a couple other yeah, monsters. a few very specific IP yeah. things where they said, yeah, it's all yours. They kind of felt like, th- and this is one of those things where we did not get money we thought we could have is not the same as we lost money. But corporate speak <laughs> is often, we didn't, you know, we had... Some people who chose not to buy our product, and that is money lost. Yeah. So they they think that way, which is its own separate problem. Uh, but that is that doesn't change the fact that that's what investors and you know corporate higher ups would necessarily think. And we have wandered a long ways away from alignment. We should pull this back. We, we yes, have. we have. <laughs> okay. So let's let's get back to alignment here. Let me, let me throw this out here. Yeah, off the top of our heads, what's our favorite alignment for PCs, for our own PCs? Doug? For me, uh, like if I if you just, if you just said make a character right now for a game, um, I would be neutral good. And then if I knew a bit about the setting, uh, I like to sort of contrast with the setting. So if the setting is going to be very orderly, I'd be chaotic good. And then if you were in like a, a, a lawless kind of setting, I would try to play a character's lawful good because that's interesting to have that contrast. But neutral good. Is my go-to. Okay. Jenny. I enjoy... I, I used to enjoy playing what I thought was chaotic good, and then I realized it was neutral good. I really like playing neutral good characters with a mild chaos twist, or sometimes a stronger chaos twist, depending on uh, the setting and what will make people laugh. Basically, I... I love making people laugh, and for me, I do that best with neutral good. Now, for other players around the table, I love watching Chaotic Neutral. I really enjoy playing with Chrissy, is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, okay, that's but, good. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I, I like having other people around me be Chaotic Neutral. I think it adds an extra... They're a really good foil for my neutral good character and vice versa, I think. Yeah, I I like lawful good or neutral good. Um, I tend to like to play really pro-social characters that are trying to hard to do the right thing, make the world a better place, that sort of thing. A lot of my personal power fantasies kind of come out of the amount of frustrated having to helplessly watch bad things happen in the world and wishing you could do something to stop it that we all deal with, especially in 2020. Like... Yeah, it's not like, just you. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, we've got a worldwide pandemic. Remove disease sure would be awesome, wouldn't it? You know, <laughs> you know like I, I've mentioned before, one of my favorite moments in the colony game was walking into Fort Formidable and being like, you all eat today. You know, being able to just single handedly right. burn through some spell slots and just stop people from starving. I love that stuff. So that's that's mine. OK. How about you? Oh, boy. Um. Am I allowed to say whatever uh, the rest of the party isn't playing? <laughs> no, I I, yeah. I like being the foil in a lot of ways, but that doesn't 
Again, this does not necessarily correlate with alignment. Trather, Trather Wimblin in the City on a Hill Season 2 campaign, was in many ways a foil to a lot of the other characters, but that wasn't because of his alignment, right? He was just the the doofy, bravado idiot up in front. And I loved that. I loved playing that up to the hilt. And so for him, it made sense being lawful good. Uh, if I absolutely had to pick, I would probably say chaotic neutral because it's very freeing and it lets me be kind of silly, which I enjoy. I like making people laugh at the table. Um, Hala is a good example of that. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, your game, Peter. Uh, and I, I like the I like impulsive characters. I don't know why this is a relatively new development over the past six, seven years. Uh, but I like the impulsiveness and I like the, you know what, let's just do it. Maybe I'm just very tired of two hours, sit around and decide to go through the door sessions. I don't know. I mean, we did but, kill the Shadowrun campaign with analysis paralysis, so fair. We, we killed a lot of things with, uh, I, not just this, like I have literally been in a mage game where we sat around for two hours deciding to go through a door. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah, you uh, told it, that story a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> for the record, Chrissy finally said, Ah, idiots, and walked through the door, and we all went, wait, you can do that? So, you know. Uh, <laughs> I bet it was hard enough to convince mages to leave their sanctum. In fairness, um, the world was ending, our sanctum was a Winnebago, and oh, nice. we, um, we had a werewolf in our party, which was Chrissy's character. So, it, it was a very odd game. Also, it was kind of sliders-y. <laughs> that, that sounds and cool. It, the real climax of the campaign was a cabaret show that we all sang. It was a very odd game and a lot of fun. But point oh, it was great. wonderful. But point is, I do kind of want to play that goofball in a lot of ways and also move things along. And I think chaotic neutral gives you the most I'm just gonna do it. So See, I that. thought that before I played Croucher. And I think impulsiveness needs to be its own scale. Mm, I don't disagree. Again, we, we're getting into that. Hollow was still kind of good, but <laughs> it was selfish enough that I couldn't really justify that. So, hey, look, complexity of character that doesn't fit neatly into a three by three grid. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she, was, um, she was kind of a grudging good character in a lot of ways, which was interesting. Yeah, very much so. OK, um, we got to move this along a little bit. Favorite NPC alignment? Just, you know, fun to watch. Here, I, I will say chaotic good. I like having chaotic good. Uh, correction, chaotic good and chaotic evil. Granorn's great. Yeah, I think, isn't he chaotic neutral? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't ask. I didn't ask Ryan what's the yeah. was. I asked if I could use it. Yeah, okay, fair enough, yeah. You know, I, I love the, you know, I'm gonna get, you know, just... You know what? I'm going to back that off entirely. He, he's my chaotic favorite NPC cheap. alignment. <laughs> my favorite NPC alignment as a GM is any variety of evil because I like poking the party. So. Hmm. I like chaotic good. Um, I have way too much fun playing these high energy, unfocused, impulsive, benevolent, mad scientist type characters to the point mm -hmm. where I usually stuff one into just about every campaign I run at some point. In uh, in the current Sunday game that I'm running, it's this goblin inventor named Gonk, who uh, who's just this manic pile of ideas and energy, and has helped... Gonk's um, contr contribution to the party arsenal is 
acid bombs made from bioluminescent berries that he gave them. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, glowing acid potions, basically. Jenny, how about you? I enjoy, as a GM, playing chaotic neutral. But as a PC, I like watching chaotic good characters for reasons similar to why Peter likes playing chaotic good uh, NPCs. But as a GM, my favorite thing, and maybe this is wrong, but I don't really care. I'm not going to stop. I like mildly unsettling people. Um, <laughs> I like, like I mentioned with, with the spider character, like, I love mildly unsettling my players. It's very, very fun. And it's part of why I don't enjoy uh, GMing with modules. Because I feel like I don't get the creative freedom to unsettle people nearly as much as I would like to. That's fair. Uh, you like playing it because you got to play Croucher, and that works great. Yeah. You know, the Croucher mm -hmm. does a good job of that from the PC side. Croucher is the that. creepiest yeah. good guy I have played with in quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> the Croucher's... I, I love unsettling people. It's so much fun. Um, I basically, I, I made the realization that horror and comedy have the same root. And I, I've just been going off of that for almost every creative project ever since. Jenny just dances down that line, sticking a toe this way and that here and there. It's like, very fun. It's wonderful. Doug? Uh, so, Jenny, you might want to check out um, OSR modules because um, unsettling is what almost all of them are aiming for. Uh, and that might be interesting to you. So, in answer to the question, uh, I would say for me, true neutral. It, partly because I realize it, it provides kind of an escape hatch from the alignment system because your, your, your moral stance is not having a fixed moral stance in a way. And so, there's always the question of like, what is this character's agenda then? What are they about? And then I also kind of like. A character who's like a detached kind of sage, who's sort of serving some cosmic balance or some unusual agenda, and then watching the players try to figure out, like, what is this person about? What do they want? What is their goal? And having it not be clear immediately or be something that wouldn't occur to them uh, as a goal. Cool. All right. Yeah. I, th I think we've kind of hit on this a little bit. Do we have a best villain alignment that we prefer? I do. I like Lawful Evil um, because... In that case, you've got often not just a villain, but an entire, like, evil structure to tear down. Like, the kind of the primary bad guys in um, my Sunday game are lawful evil. Uh, the the Vanarax Empire, and there's an individual Karkovian admiral that are both that alignment. And, yeah, you've, you've got, like, you know, armies of well-organized minions. They've got, like, big ambitious projects going on that you need to stop. They're... They're really good on a structural level, from my opinion. Okay. Jenny? For me, I I like a good robot gone wrong. I like lawful neutral mm. because strong choice. Here's okay, here's here's the thing. With with a robot gone wrong, you get all of the law, none of the necessarily motivation between I like towards either good or evil. And, and with that, you have a lot of wiggle room because the the players will... I think there's just a lot more ways that you can tackle the problem because I think a lawful neutral character can still be reasoned with and still convinced to 
see maybe that they were wrong or they are they you can just stop them and you can do it real quick i i think hmm i am much i'm growing less and less fond of black and white we must solve this one way kinds of of stories and i think i personally enjoy doing that more with lawful neutral just the way that i prefer to do things okay i think that's very fair i'll be honest with you i don't have a perfect a preferred villain alignment because i want villains that are interesting and that can come from all sorts of different motivations you know, I, I love a runaway robot. I love somebody who thinks they're doing the right thing. I love somebody who is doing the right thing, but is tragically up against you who is also doing the right thing. I love somebody who's just absolutely blood curdlingly evil. All of these are wonderful villains and antagonists, and I'm they're all good. All right, Doug, That's you it. want the final word since uh, you're the guest and this is the end of our <laughs> our notes here. <laughs> so for um for favorite villain alignment. I'm probably more on, on Grant's page that I like. I, I could I could have a cool villain almost with any given alignment. Recently, I had a really fun villain who was neutral evil. She was uh, a, an evil alchemist, and she was the mother of one of the player characters. She'd kind of genetically engineered him to be the, the chosen scion of darkness, and it kind of raised him uh, to be that. And so um, a lot of the game was her trying to kind of guilt trip him back into being uh, the chosen one of darkness, uh, and when he decided he wasn't going to be, then she told him that she needed some of his blood uh, to, to continue her research. And so it came to this sort of climactic moment in this repurposed abandoned factory uh, down in the, in the bowels of Sharn. Uh, this is an Eberron game where the PCs are set up to fight and all the NPCs are there. And this character is having this conversation with his, with his mother and she's trying to get him to give her his blood or she's going to take it. And so he kind of had to decide if he was going to, you know, do this to help her further her research and avoid a huge dangerous fight, or if he was going to fight someone who he had a lot of reasons not to like, but had still raised him. And that was just a really fun session, the culmination of a, a number of fun moments between the two of them. And um, I could have done that with different alignments, but with Neutral Evil, I felt like she had a really strong goal, and her goal was you know, was evil, but she was flexible as to her means of achieving this goal. Okay, fair enough. I think that's as good a wrapping up point as any. I'm sure people will have comments, and I am excited to hear those and see those. I want to hear from all of you. So, Doug, thank you very much for joining us. This has been great. Yeah, definitely. It was my pleasure. A long mm -hmm. time. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Yeah, frankly, so have we uh, been, so I'm glad we made it happen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and Jenny and Peter, thank you for sticking through this whole alignments discussion and convincing me it was a good idea because <laughs> I think, it, you know, even though I don't like alignment as we've covered, I think it's been a really interesting exploration. Yeah, this was a really fun and fruitful and interesting series. Um, I I am really glad we did this. I yeah, Doug, thank you again. It's it's great to have you. If anybody else wants to find you, where do they where do they go for that? Uh, a good way to find me is I am Robosnake on Twitter. I also have a blog. If you just look for Douglas Underhill, um, I think it's douglasunderhill.wordpress.com. Um, right now the blog's on hiatus. I kind of ran out of material and had uh, 
well, we had to ha actually have a dog put to sleep. And so it, it sort of, I, there was a lot of grief around that and I just lost motivation to keep writing for a while. I will probably return to it. I'm approaching a thousand posts on the blog. So uh, clearly there's a lot already put into it. Um, and so a lot of my ideas go there, but just to find me, I'm on, I'm on the discord as Dunderhill, I believe. And then I'm Robosnake on Twitter and that's probably the best way. Okay, cool. And if you want to find us, we are saving the game on Twitter and on Facebook. We are also stgcast.org in your web browser, and we are saving the game pretty much anywhere you give out podcasts. If you go to stgcast.org, you will also find links to all of Peter's awesome blog posts that he puts out on weeks when there is not an episode. Uh, you'll see a link to our Discord, where you will find a huge community of wonderful people who are supportive and interesting and will happily talk to you about alignment or make up spells um, based on product names. It's it's up to you. <laughs> it's whatever you want. It's cool. <laughs> that was, um, I'm so sad that I was so busy today at work. I saw that. I was able to jump in for like two minutes and then it was just like... <laughs> yes, it was good fun. And of course, you know, we're there and host you know, a bunch of other folks are there and they're all amazing. So definitely get in on that. You really should. And if you like the show, please like us, you know, on whatever social media you prefer. Follow us, review us on iTunes and Podchaser and everywhere else. These things all help us absolutely enormously. And definitely check out the Bodana group and Save Against Fear if that's something you're interested in, because we are. It is something you're, if you're listening to this, yeah, it's something you're absolutely. interested in. I can almost <laughs> yeah. guarantee it. No argument. All right. From all of us here at Saving the Game and Doug, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. See ya. Goodbye. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution share alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.